Well, good morning. Welcome here to week two. We're diving in again, jumping into this concept of messy. My name is Jameson. I'm the executive pastor, and I'm excited to continue this conversation about relationship with you this morning. However, before we jump in, I just wanted to pull over and do a little family time here. Just a little update about what's going on around here at Storehouse. Some of you know, most of you know Jeff Twyford. Um, Step into the light, Jeff. People want to see your face. Or the parts of it they can see. (laughs) Jeff is not only our outstanding bass player, but also works full-time here at the church as the preschool director for the Storehouse Grow and Go Preschool. Jeff has been uh, the preschool director here for, what, 15 years? 15 years, and before that he was a school administrator and teacher and many other things in all of his different lives that he's led. But he has um, officially decided that it is time to retire from that post as preschool director. And I wanted to let you know that. Um, I don't think he'll actually retire, him and Linda, because they do 100 things and they'll continue doing them. But anyway, for this particular position, he's going to step aside. Um, And I wanted to let you know that um, because we're praying for who's next. But also, I just wanted to acknowledge Jeff's leadership and let you know, if you don't already, that I firmly believe that Storehouse Church would not be the place that it is today without Jeff Twyford. Jeff not only has been a servant leader through the years of Storehouse occupying this facility and this property, but was a leader um, in the Plymouth Valley Church that was here before Storehouse, all the way back to he was actually a student in that very preschool as well. It was a few years ago. It was just a couple couple years ago. Um, So Jeff has led with a servant's heart. He has led with the main thing in mind, never with an allegiance to something um, that's not important, but always knowing and wanting Jesus to be honored, Jesus to be glorified, and this community be supported by the ministry of this church on this property here in Plymouth Valley. So thank you, Jeff. If you could just thank Jeff one more time for me. We appreciate it. We will have time to honor Jeff more as his um, transition happens, but if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a preschool director and kind of taking on that mantle, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love for you to pass on the job description to you. You can email me, jameson at storehousechurch.com or pass that along to somebody you know. I believe that um, there's a possibility that God will stir the heart of somebody within our ranks who understands the culture here at Storehouse, um, who may be even looking for a career change that might have the skills to lead that preschool um, as we move forward. So if that's something I would just encourage you and ask you to pray about that as a Storehouse family, that the right person would come to the forefront, talk to me about it, and let's get the word out and see what God does. We are talking right now about messy relationships, about how our ability to connect with each other is not always clean. 
It's not always the way that we intend it to be. It's not always smooth. So I'm glad you're here today because it's going to get a little messy. Excellent. They'll be coming around with finger paints. No. This idea of messy relationships is not new. As humans have been relating forever, it's been messy. In fact, we've been diving into the book of Proverbs, this ancient book of wisdom written mostly by Solomon, and much of it is presented in these kind of pithy, memorable sound bites, right? These tweetable statements, if you will. And we've been looking to see how a lot of these statements actually directly speak to the difficulty we have as humans interacting in relationship one another, with one another. Pastor Tasha did an excellent job last week of setting up this concept. And we dug into the idea that if we want to love others well, uh, that we need to be thinking about expectations and assumptions. In fact, we established from the beginning that we, we, we should assume that we actually do want to do this, right? That people aren't in relationships specifically attempting to sabotage them or to promote disunity, but too often our natural state is to be defensive, looking out for ourselves, our own needs, which then leads us to making these unhealthy and inaccurate assumptions of one another, levying expectations that are unrealistic and often unsaid on them as well. And one facet of relationship that requires some efforts is something I've got to admit this morning that I, it's not always natural for me. In fact, digging into this and observing humanity, I, I don't think it's actually natural for anyone. Let me give you an example before we really talk about this. My father is one of the smartest people that I know. Like, frustratingly smart sometimes, right? He, he seems to be able to excel at nearly everything he attempts to do, and, and it's always been that way, and it particularly shows itself around games, right? So like playing a family game, a trivia game, or a drawing game, like Pictionary or something, a, a card games, counting, math games, no matter what game it is, he's very good at games. So it was always a boon to be on dad's team in the game. Because you just felt like, well, we got this. My mom never really appreciated that, by the way. She's also really smart, but she says next to my dad, she doesn't feel smart. Anyway, that, I don't need to air all that laundry out. If you're watching, sorry about that. Um, that. That whole setup and his whole prowess for games made it all the more befuddling to me that he could not get the game of mastermind. Do you know this game? You know this game, Mastermind, it's an old game where you like, you set up the, I learned this game as a child in school actually, you set up the colored pegs and then you hide it and then the other person is trying to guess the correct placement of those colored pegs and so they put the pegs in and then you put in the clue, yes you got that one in the right color, right place, but that one's the right color, it's in the wrong place, but you don't know which clues that I'm telling you go to which pegs and so then you guess the next guess and so on and so forth and as the code breaker, somebody trying to finish the code, figure it out, it's impossible to lose. If you use all the information presented to you in a logical way and every guess subsequently is a realistic guess based on all the information you have before, you can never not get the code correct. You always get it. And I could never get this across 
to my dad. And so we'd be playing the game, and he would be making a guess, and say, no, 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 you can't guess that. That doesn't make any sense. It's impossible. You're not using all the information from several guesses ago. And his response to me would be, well, this makes sense to me because... And honestly, I can't tell you what he said after that because I was not listening. I was just so in, uh, engrossed in my teaching and instructing and repeating my logic over and over and over, and he wasn't getting and I can't understand why, and uh, I wasn't listening. Yes, that is what we're talking about today, the main lesson, listen. We are called to listen well, and this is not news. We all know this. We've been told to listen from a very, very young age. Some of us have told others to listen, even this morning. So why is it that they don't listen? And why is it that I don't listen? In fact, sometimes in com conversation and in communication, I always want to jump right to my words, right to my retort, to my logic, to my solutions, to my, 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 my. Why is that? Because I still too often enter relationships and all these conversations thinking that I'm the most important person in the equation. That I'm the one that deserves to be heard, to be right, to speak. Let's look at what Proverbs says about this. Chapter 17, verse 27 says this. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Okay. So right off the bat, we can see that not only should we listen, but true listening has certain characteristics, certain motivations. So we're not talking about just listening. We're trying to talk about healthy motivations for listening, the way that we listen. I used to be a high school teacher many years ago. And I remember one student who every time I looked out into the class, I could tell this kid is not listening to me. They are not paying attention at all to what's going on. They look bored to tears. They want to be anywhere except here. And this is frustrating me because they're doodling and daydreaming. It's totally tuned out of everything I was saying. And at one point, I couldn't take it anymore. And I just called on them and I said, Student, hello? Are you here? Are you even paying attention? Are you even listening to me? You might as well not even be here. What did I just say? Did you ever pull that one out? What, what happened? What did he do? He repeated everything I had said to the whole class for the last minute. Word for word. Every single thing. Okay. So he thinks he got me, right? Because he was listening. He could repeat everything I said. He was listening, but he knew, and I know, he wasn't really listening. He wasn't really present in the class. He wasn't engaging. He wasn't giving any response. He could simply regurgitate, repeat, the, reiterate the instructions, but he wasn't present. He wasn't there. See, healthy listening is not just about, I heard it and I can say it. It's not just repeating it. It, it, listening doesn't always look like the way we think it should look. And often I think we're guilty of actually listening. We're doing it, but we're doing it with wrong motivations. 
Right, see, see if these resonate with you. I think there are two oft-used, unhealthy motivations for listening. The first is this. We have the unhealthy motivation of listening to solve problems. Go back to Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise and discerning if they hold their tongues. Okay, so wait. I want to be wise and discerning, and I want to show that I'm listening. So to show that I'm listening, that I know something, that I care about something, I should stop talking? My response shouldn't be overly verbose and full of logical examples and conclusions and convincing, persuasive, pointing out the solutions to every issue, whether it impacts me or not. I still wrestle with this one. This is tough. Because I want to listen and make something better. My wife will tell me about a situation at her job. And I'll listen intently, right? I've learned, pay attention. Remember the names of the people. Remember the details. Picture the situation in your mind. Hear how she's feeling. Note the positive and the negative things about the circumstance that she finds herself in. But then when it's my turn to acknowledge that I've been listening... I'll say something like, wow, that sounds tough. You know what you should do is, no, wow, that sounds tough. Not you know what you should do. She's not looking for my advice. She doesn't need me to step into her world and fix everything and make it okay. If she wants my advice on something, if she wants my input, she'll ask me about it. But I'm too quick to default to problem solving. I want to jump right through empathy and get right to fixing things and making things better. And oftentimes, I just need to stop, stop at empathy. But problem solving, fixing it, offering a solution, it's not even the goal of my listening. It's certainly not the goal of her speaking to me, right? In fact, it's not even a necessary outcome most of the time, which blows my mind. But it, it is not a necessary outcome to fix everything. That's tough for me because it feels like healthy listening, but really, it's still about me, right? It's still about my solutions. It's still about what I'm offering. Here's another unhealthy motivation for listening. Listening to defend yourself, Right? Listening to defend yourself. So wait, to show that I'm listening, that I hear what you're saying and what you're accusing me of, and that I care about what we're talking about, I should stop talking? My response shouldn't be overly emotional and verbose, defensive and full of logical examples and conclusions, convincing persuasive arguments, pointing out why I'm right and why I'm justified to feel that way? That's not healthy listening? No, of course it's not. If my motivation is defensiveness, if I'm listening just so I can protect me and correct you, then regardless of how you approach me, as a listener, I'm already setting us up against each other, right? Just by my listening, if I'm listening to defend myself, then my motivation is still about me and I'm assuming that what you're saying requires defensive, uh, defensiveness. So I want to protect me 
and correct you. So before you say anything, I've already decided we're not on the same team. We're on two different teams. That's listening, but I don't think it's healthy listening. I think that motivation is unhealthy. Look at what James says about this. Chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is connecting the dots here. These are not three separate thoughts. What he knows and he's saying and acknowledging to us is, listen, if you rush in to your retort without listening first, it's going to lead to frustration and disunity and even anger, which is not a great outcome. It is not the outcome that we want from relating to each other and listening. What outcome do we want? Well, he actually continues in verse 20. Because, right? Take note of this. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Exactly. And the whole point of this, the whole point of our relationships, of loving each other well, is to produce the righteousness that God desires. And that's why we listen in the first place. Because we want to love each other in the way that Jesus loved people and loves us, right? We want to build each other up. We want to be people who refresh one another, who look out for the interests of others. But it's difficult to do if we're listening with the motivation of just fixing problems or even worse in some cases, just defending ourselves. So how do we want to listen? What are some healthy motivations for listening. Well, here's a couple. One healthy motivation is we listen to empathize. We listen not just to fix problems, or maybe not to fix problems at all, but to come alongside someone and feel what they're feeling. And to clarify, we're not talking about sympathy here. We're not talking about pity here. As Dr. Brene Brown said in her famous TED Talk on empathy, sympathy and empathy are two very different things. This was a really popular talk that you can find online, and somebody took a portion of it and made a little animated short to try and explain it even more. We took a portion of that and cut it down to a real short clip. We just wanted to show you that real quick, so take a look at this. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling in order to connect with you I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling we listen well we're getting in the pit with people we're not just offering them a sandwich We're not trying to just fix things. 
And she goes on to talk about silver lining. We're not trying to silver line everything. We're trying to see people, make an effort to feel what they're feeling. Get down there with them and just empathize. That motivation for listening changes the way you listen, doesn't it? It changes how you hear someone, how you see someone, how you connect with them. Here's another healthy motivation for listening. We listen to understand. We're not trying to just go in and pick apart somebody's argument, figure out where they're wrong, figure out where we're right. We're just trying to understand. Proverbs 17, 27, we looked at it already. Whoever has understanding is even-tempered. And let's be clear about understanding real quick. Understanding isn't agreeing. You can strive to understand someone, understand where they're coming from, ask questions about how they drew those conclusions, why they did that action, why they reacted that way, why they believed such a thing, whatever it was. You can just try to understand them, hear them, without agreeing with them. Because you can disagree with someone and still value them as a person. Let me say that again. You can disagree with someone and still value them as a person. I don't know if people actually believe that. You can disagree with someone and still value them as a person. You can disagree with their decisions, their actions, their conclusions, their motivations, all of it. And you can listen to them and you can hear them and you can value them and you can love them. David Augsburger said it this way, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. If the goal is loving people well, then the goal has to also be listening well with this heart-level empathy and understanding like Jesus did, right? Think about Jesus. What does he do time and time again? He stops what he's doing. He pauses and he hears people. He interacts with individuals, listening to them. He empathizes with them. Matthew, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, on and on. In fact, Mark tells us in chapter 10, when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, what does Mark say? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He listened. He was present. He wasn't distracted or in a rush. He took time to explore people's stories, to understand them, to listen, to commune with them at this heart level. The Emotionally Healthy Relationship Study, which some of us are doing right now, calls it listening incarnationally. Right? Listening at this heart level with empathy and understanding like Jesus did. Listening incarnationally. It's messy. But one key word that they use in the process is this idea of attunement. Right? We don't just listen for information or for facts. We listen for an emotional connection. We're dialing in to how the other person is feeling. And God wired us to love this way, folks. 
And I don't think it's a personality. Have you heard people described as empaths? Have you described yourself or others that way? Have you heard that? Some of these personality tests and whatnot talk about whether you have a, a natural predilection towards empathy. And I think that's true, and there's a lot of good weight in that. But as I look at Scripture, it doesn't say, for those of you who it comes easy to, love people well. For those of you who naturally can feel what somebody else is feeling, be sure to enter conversations listening to them so they feel heard and valued as an individual that God created. But to those of you who have different personalities, do other things. That's not what it says. It says, love people the way God loved people. Love the people around you more than yourself. Value others and their needs above your own needs. Not based on your personality, not based on how you're wired, not based on whether you're extroverted or introverted or naturally an empath or any of that stuff. It just says, love people. Even these ancient proverbs say, hey, you want to be wise? You want to help people out? You want to see people? You want to listen to them? Stop talking. Listen. Tune in. Show people you care by entering life with them. And we watch Jesus do it time and time and time again. We make a genuine effort to listen, not just to fix problems or defend ourselves, but to empathize with people, to understand them. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we listen incarnationally with empathy and understanding? Well, here's a few points. Here's a few things I think we can do to try and be better at listening, to listen incarnationally. Number one, seems easy, but this is a hard one. It may be the hardest one. Decide to listen. Actually decide that you want to listen in the first place. Last week, Pastor Tasha talked about and asked us if we had our person. Right, That person in mind where our relationship with them was maybe messy, where there was assumptions and expectations that weren't lining up. And maybe that same person is in your head this morning when you think about the disconnect in your conversations with them and whether they're listening to you or you're listening to them. And maybe it's somebody different altogether. But oftentimes, these people in our lives that we're in relationship with, we know them so well. And we understand where they're coming from so much, or so we think we do, that we enter our connection points with them, our conversations with them, and we are not going to listen. We have decided already that we're so cynical and so frustrated and so over it with this person and their patterns and the way they always talk about what they always default to, what they come back to, what their motivations are, what their emotions are, all this, that we just decide before we enter in not to listen not to truly listen. And anything they say, we filter and interpret through our already decided lens of how we know they are. So no new information can break our filter because we have decided that they're already that way. And so we haven't even decided to listen. And frankly, we've decided very specifically not to. You have these people in your life? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's a coworker, a boss, somebody who reports to you. Maybe it's your spouse. Oftentimes, I hate to tell you, happy Valentine's Day, it's your spouse. 
right? I already know what they're going to say. I already know how they think. I already know how they're wired. I guess we'll just get into this because we have to. And you've already decided going in, I'm not listening to you. I already know you. Have you even decided to listen? One more thing on this. Right now, I think it's obvious that there's a lot of things that we don't agree with each other about in society, in our families, in our organizations, in our workplace, in our churches, and all this stuff. And I think for some of us, some of those things, because of the volume and because they've been so pervasive, have crept up the ladder of importance in our life. And they've become things that we've, we've held so dear, that we cherish so much, these convictions that are so important that they've become way more important than they, we ever thought they could have been. In fact, they've become even maybe part of our identities. And I postulate even to an unhealthy degree where we sit down and we can't even imagine listening in a way that would have us empathize or understand someone who doesn't also hold these things to be self-evident and completely true. Because they've gotten so important to us, they become so important that our main goal is to convince other people of why they should also be important to them and why we're right. Folks, this is destructive. It is not healthy listening. It is not incarnational listening. It is not the way Jesus engaged with people. It just isn't. And I think to some degree we're all guilty of it. So I think that's also a challenge that we have around this point of deciding to listen. Are we going to enter these relationships thinking, you know what, you know what's more important than who's right and wrong and what's more important than these things that have become so important? What's more important is you. What's more important is you, the person I love and care for, who I work with every day. The person who I grew up with. The person who took care of me. The person who I'm married to. The person who I live next to and share community with. You're more important than any of this other stuff. So I'm going to decide that I want to love you well. I want to listen incarnationally. So I'm going to decide to listen to you. I'm going to try to empathize with your position. Understand where you're coming from. And it's easier for me to do when I realize that these things that maybe we both think are so super important maybe need to be pushed down a couple rungs. Decide to listen. We want to love people. We have to actually decide we want to hear them. We want to acknowledge them as people. It's a tough one. We want to listen incarnationally. We need to decide to listen. And then we need to slow down. You've got to slow down. You want to love people in conversation, you actually have to have time to have a conversation. You want to hear people, you actually have to have time to hear them, to listen to them. Do you prioritize connecting with people in your schedule? Sometimes you've got to schedule this time. You've got to put your phone down. I'm talking to myself on that one, I'm just saying. 
My wife and son were sitting in the front row at the earlier service, and they both sat up straight when I said that one. Oh, really? Interesting. In my house, we say it's time to holster your weapons. Look at the other person. There's a novel idea. And be okay being inconvenienced. All these stories we we hinted at about Jesus, I don't know how he got everything done. Because he was on his way to do something. He had an agenda. He had something that needed to be done. And what happened? He was interrupted. He passed by a guy who was like, hey, I could use something from you. He's walking. He feels somebody talking. Who's touching me? Right? He's constantly interrupted. He didn't even have a Google calendar. I have no idea how he cut everything straight. Are we willing to be interrupted to truly listen, to hear, to see the people in our lives? Are we willing to be interrupted? Think about my mother on this one sometimes. Because one of my brothers um, would process not speaking a lot. Like he wasn't a, a talker like me. I want to talk out loud all the time. And so when he wanted to, she was ready to listen, even if it was the most inconvenient time for her. And I'd be in bed and I'd be, wait a second, they're in there talking? It's like 12 o'clock at night. And she's teaching school the next day. What? She was ready to be inconvenienced for the people that she loved. Ready to listen. Are we? We need to decide we're actually going to listen. We need to slow down. And we need to examine our motivations. We, we talked about this one, right? Are we listening to try and fix things, to try and defend ourselves, or are our motivations empathy and understanding? We decide to listen. We slow down. We examine those motivations. And then, number four, stop speaking. Just stop speaking. It's hard to listen when you're talking. I was tempted to make this point, shut up. But I wasn't sure I was, could put that on the screen and feel good about it, you know. If you want to listen incarnationally, we've got to stop talking. Proverbs 18, 13, another great verse on this. And I love it the way the message says it. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. <laughs> oh, message version. They get right to the point. I love it. Stop speaking. Decide you actually want to listen. Slow down. Examine your motivations for doing so. Stop speaking. And then we have to start healthy speaking. Okay, so you may have been thinking this whole time. So really, the whole goal of this is just don't say anything? Well, kind of. But if speaking is going to be part of, of healthy listening, right? Of incarnational listening, of getting in the pit with somebody. We're not just going to sit there and go. That would not be healthy. We have to respond. We need to acknowledge. We need to allow our human spirits to connect in God's presence. And we need to do that in a healthy way. We need to speak in a healthy way. What does that mean? What is healthy speaking in the, in the context of incarnational listening? It's respectful. Ephesians 4.29, we use our words to build each other up, right? We want to build each other up, build another, one another up with our words. A real helpful thing is before you say anything, especially in the context of these types of conversations, ask yourself, is what I'm about to say building this person up? Right? Because then it becomes about them and less about you too, which is also helpful. Imagine if both people were doing that. It would be fantastic. Healthy speaking is respectful. It's honest. 
It's actually, we don't pander, we don't patronize, we don't agree just to avoid conflict. We don't say, oh, it was no big deal that you were late, when it actually, you know, it was kind of a big deal. It bothered us. We're honest. We're respectful, we're honest, and we're clear. We're very clear. No hinting vagaries, we're speaking plainly. And maybe you've been thinking about, uh, along the way, just a pull over here, maybe you've been thinking about, wait a second, this idea of like being honest, being respectful, this healthy speaking, there's some confrontation involved in some of this sometimes, right? Like there's some speak the truth and love involved in some of this. Being understood is actually really important to me as well. Like I get you're, you're saying you want to understand people. That's well and good and that's great. But like isn't being understood part of this? And you're right. All those things we need to understand are going to happen. We're going to need to fix things. We're going to need to fight cleanly. And that's what we're talking about next week, fighting cleanly. So come on back, and we'll have gotten the listening mastered, and then we can talk about how to fight cleanly in the context of these relationships, right? As those questions are hitting you, as those musings and those responses and those actual practical application questions are hitting you, I would encourage you just to write them down and send them in. We want to look at all those questions, and Pastor Tasha and I have already received some and are praying through and researching and digging into what Scripture and what truth tells us about this stuff, just to kind of have a conversation to say, here's the messy relationship stuff that's really going on in our community, and let's talk about it. So we've set aside some time a couple weeks from now to come up here and answer your questions. So submit them. You can do it right on the website, storehouse slash messy. Pastor Tasha will talk about that a little bit later, too. But yes, come back. These all work together. But we can't get to fighting cleanly, to understanding confrontation as a way to move through disagreement towards harmony if we not, don't first understand that we've got to listen well. We've got to stop listening with ourselves in mind first. We've got to start listening with the other person in mind. So as the band comes and we enter into just some time of reflective worship. Let me acknowledge this. I know that all of you want to be people who do this well, right? You want to listen incarnationally. You want to be attuned with one another. You want to love each other well. But I recognize, and I know you do too, that it's not easy. We have agendas. We have points to make. We have egos to defend. In fact, listening this way might cut against the natural conversations that we tend to have with our loved ones. But it's important. And if you want to practice, if you want to put yourself in a situation where you go, okay, I'm going to have to listen but incarnationally, really sinking in, diving into what this person is saying, listening with empathy and with understanding. Ask them this question. What's the biggest thing impacting you right now and how are you feeling about it? Just ask your parent. Ask your boyfriend. Ask your coworker. Ask your boss. Ask your spouse or your kid. Hey, what's the... Uh, How's life, man? What's the biggest thing impacting you right now? How are you feeling about that? What? It'll challenge you to actually do this. We want to be people who value others, right?
We want to love people well, and we want to do it by listening. So I'd invite you to stand. I'd love to pray for us as we try to engage and enter into applying this truth. God, thank you. Thank you that you, um, you're patient with us. You teach us well. And you exemplified this so well through your son, Jesus. In fact, it wasn't a departure from your character. You've been patiently listening to your people since the beginning. Empathizing, understanding, really trying to to hear our cries. Thank you that you listen. That when we cry out, it's not into a void, but that you hear us, that you care, that you weep alongside us, that you want to carry our burdens. God, we worship you for that today. And we're inspired by it and convicted by it. I pray that right now we would have those people in mind, those specific relationships, those applications where we can leave this space being better at listening, being more like you at loving people. Help us to be the people who aren't concerned just with ourselves, but are really tuned in to loving those around us well. Receive our worship and our praise right now in your name. Amen.